I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, and we will be reading in just a moment verses 23 to 30. So you can find that text and prepare for that time of worship as we look to God's word. I feel a bit hoarse just from the singing. It was a joy to sing those songs of celebration and anticipation. We're, we're not at the point in the week yet when Jesus would have risen from the grave. Right about now is the time when they would have had taken him down from the cross and prepared him for his burial very hastily because the Sabbath was coming. And they had to make those preparations quickly in order to fulfill the law of God for that week. But something even greater was occurring to which the scripture will point tonight. But you might be wondering, why are we here on a Friday night? Pastor Sam alluded to the very reason a few minutes ago. We sang the very reason a few minutes ago. And if we ever lose sight of what has happened to us, the cross is what we need to see. And the reason we're here tonight, having taken time away from our normal Friday night activities, this one time of year on this special event in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, and for us as people, uh, we have come to celebrate the cross and what has happened to Jesus there and for us. If you would, look down at John 19 in your Bibles now, and if you are able, stand with me as we read in honor of the Lord Jesus this passage of Scripture, verses 23 to 30. Follow along now as I read. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This Good Friday, we, as I said, have come to the cross once again to encounter there the Lord Jesus, who he is what he's done for us, and what that means for our lives. And as we come to the cross tonight, in a sense of bringing to you these scenes from the cross, I want to show you from Scripture what they reveal, what the cross reveals. And there are 
three scenes that I see develop here in just these few verses that we've read. The cross reveals certain things that I know in the midst of our busy lives we must see, as well as in the struggles of our own hearts. Maybe even if you are here tonight and you would not call yourself a Christian, but you're curious and you've come here with a friend and you're wondering what this Good Friday service is all about. You may not know him, but tonight you can. But you must have certain things revealed to you about him. And his cross reveals them to you. And these are those things. In the first place tonight, we need to see that the cross reveals the darkness of human sin. Verses 23 to 25 show us two distinct groups of four people. In the first case, there are four soldiers who have certain responsibilities to crucify Jesus. And on the other hand, there are, there's a group there of four women who are there in support of Jesus. His own mother is there. And John intentionally lists these groups for our benefit so that we can see a glimpse into the reason why the cross was necessary. As I said, these groups of people do reveal the darkness of human sin and the extent of it. Here's what happened up to verse 23. Jesus has experienced one unjust trial after another. And as the scripture said, like a a sheep before its shearers is silent, so the Lord Jesus Christ before those trying him is silent. When he did speak, there was no doubt to his authority. Caesar, or Pilate rather, who was trying him there in Judea, could find no fault with him. But Pilate was fearful to charge Jesus with anything. And finally, it was under the pressure of the Jewish authorities, the religious authorities, who had united themselves against Jesus, who demanded the death of Jesus on the charge that he claimed to be the Son of God. And so when that struck fear into Pilate, what he found out was that Jesus had made a claim to be the king of the Jews. But in a sense, he couldn't even get to the real root of all that was going on there because Jesus Jesus spoke to him about authority. And the authority that he spoke to Pilate with was such that Pilate was again fearful. And he wrote an inscription that was to be placed on the cross of Jesus Christ. And the inscription read this, the king of the Jews. It was written in three languages, Aramaic, it was written in Greek, and it was written in Latin. So that everybody who could potentially see Jesus on the cross could read that sign. The Jews were upset that it said, the king of the Jews. But Pilate, in a concession, said, what I've written, I've written. And thus, in some twisted irony, he was speaking the truth. The king of the Jews hung there in front of the Jews, in one sense, revealing the darkness of human sin. When their king was in front of them, they did not embrace him. But another level of the darkness of human sin are these four soldiers who crucified him. Now, admittedly, it was their job to crucify criminals. And they had done it, no doubt, many, many times. These four soldiers would have been at the bottom of the soldier food chain. There wouldn't have been much more for them to attain to. And it's evident because they're, they're arguing over and tearing apart certain aspects of the Lord's clothes. And then finally, when one is too important to rip up, they, they gamble over it to see who will get the rights to it. And this was what they were entitled to. When the Lord had arrived there, having struggled under the weight of his own cross, they took him and put the cross down, and they placed his arms on the beams. And it, and it would 
the nails that they placed into his hands did not go through his palms. The skin has nothing there but skin and would have ripped off of the nails. And I'm not trying to be gross, but the nails went more than likely right through here at a space between his bones on his wrist. His legs would have been curled up and his knees would have been bent so that his ankles were together and pounded into the bottom half of the cross. And then they hoisted up the cross and dropped our Lord with his battered and bloodied body into the ground. And there he hung. And that's when the soldiers began to argue for the clothes. And finally, in verse 24, they said, let us not tear this tunic that he has, which was one garment that didn't have any seams. It wasn't several pieces of fabric sewn together. It was one piece of fabric, and it was rather special, not extravagant, but unique. And as the soldiers then draw lots to see who will get it, Jesus is watching all of this from his cross. And they are treating him as if he's already dead. And certainly he will die. It may be hours, it may be days. It just depended on when he would die. But this is a special day because the Sabbath is coming. And all of these criminals would have to die soon. But regardless, he's just another criminal, or so they thought. The hardness of sin so woven into these men is such that I think this is when Jesus looked down on the scene, seeing them, seeing the religious authorities who had betrayed him, and he prayed to God, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's also some women there, as I said, and it's unique that there are four women, just like there are four soldiers. And it says that these are Jesus' mother, because this would be Mary, his mother's sister, other texts of scripture from the other gospels identify, identify her as Salome. Uh, she was the mother of James and John, the disciples of our Lord. Then it says that there was a woman there named Mary, the wife of Clopas. Don't know much about her, but she may be the wife of the one who walked with Jesus on the Emmaus Road after the resurrection, and Mary Magdalene. Each of these four ladies themselves had issues that they had encountered with the Lord Jesus regarding their own sinfulness. So assembled here at the foot of his cross, uh, there are no perfect people. There are no people who have come here merely to sympathize with Jesus. The only people assembled at the, the foot of the cross are sinners. His own mother knew that she was a sinner and confessed such when she found out that she would be pregnant with Jesus. But nevertheless, she had not been able to get rid of all of the sinful tendencies in her heart. Sometimes in Jesus' lifetime, demanding that he do things that were not time for him to do, or even to give up some of his ministry to come back and to be with the family. Jesus had to tell her at a wedding feast when she told him to turn the water into the wine. He had to tell her, woman, which was not disrespectful, but it was reminding her of the place that she had under his authority, even though he was her son, he was also her Lord. He said, woman, my time has not yet come. Nevertheless, he did serve at that wedding feast, but it shadowed something that was to come, which we'll see in just a moment. The other ladies here, uh, his mother's sister, okay, she had been the one who demanded a place for her sons at Jesus's right and left hands, trying to, by force, get something out of the Lord Jesus um, this other lady, we know at least that she was doubtful 
in the time of the resurrection. And Mary Magdalene was the one who had seven demons in her and had had them cast out. And of whom Jesus said, whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. And that was Mary Magdalene. Each of these ladies, though, had not yet had the fulfillment of the forgiveness that Jesus offered because that's what he was here at the cross to do. Now, I have to say, I recognize my own need to come to the cross and to see human sin once again for what it is. Um, I was asked by Pastor Sam a few weeks ago if I would preach this service. And to be honest, I was excited to preach this service. Um, But I have to tell you why. It seems like every year, every year, uh, right now, I struggle with a depression that I can never put my finger on or identify. And it's weird. Usually this is the time when the buds come back to the trees, right? This is the time when the Easter celebrations are everywhere, from the Christian radio, even to the non-Christian radio, hints of Easter to come, and then finally the day comes. When the day comes, usually in church, it's a very happy time, right? It's just, I can't seem to turn on the happy feelings to really match what I'm hearing and experiencing on Easter morning. And then last year, I, I was able to teach in this service, and something started to happen to me when I prepared and I went back to the cross. All the feelings that I felt, all the sense of things that were wrong, all of the sins that I remembered, all of the ways that I still fail the Lord, all of the things that happened to me, all of the things that happened in the world around me, all of the things that as a pastor I see happening in this church that are nothing but evil. To all of that, I came to the cross and once again I was confronted with the only solution to my need and to your need. It's Jesus on the cross atoning for our sin. That means taking it on himself. That means receiving the penalty for it from God so that that hardened, calloused Roman soldier, like the hardened, calloused people who are in here tonight who don't care one thing about Jesus Christ, he prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. See him for who he is tonight. Now, who is he? The second thing that the cross reveals to us, the cross reveals to us the depth of Christ's love, the depth of his love. It's in this brief scene as he struggles to catch a breath in verse 26. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. Now, this is the guy who never identifies himself except this way. This is John. This is John, the one who laid back on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper the night before, who who experienced such love from Jesus because he too had been forgiven. And now he's standing there, really the only disciple who was identified at the foot of the cross, right there with Jesus' mom. And Jesus would have had to, by the, the nail print, the nails that were in his wrist, wrenched himself up to get a ragged breath so that he could speak. And he looked down at his mother and he says, woman, behold, your son. He was not speaking of himself at this point. He wasn't saying, Mary, look at me. It's not his intent. What he means is, woman, behold, John. And then he looks at John with another ragged breath and says, John, behold, your mother. In one sense, Jesus is doing 
what any son faithful to the law of God must do. It's to care for his parents. Joseph, his earthly father, is not mentioned by this point in the gospel narratives, and we conclude that he must have passed away. Mary is likely in her late 40s or early 50s, without any resources apart from the charity of others. And Jesus, as he is dying, makes sure that his mother is cared for. Would you be thinking of others when you were dying on a cross? Now, maybe some of us would, but I marvel at the care of Jesus and that each of the seven things he says that are recorded for us from the cross are all precisely what everybody needed to hear. From those who are particularly his to those who belonged to all of the church yet to come. And what did it mean when he said, woman, behold your son? Was this disrespectful? No, this was similar to what happened at the Cana marriage feast in John chapter 2 when he addressed his mother at that time as woman. The reason he did so was to remind her that the natural relationship that they had as mother to son was now being superseded. And in one sense, there's a higher relationship that must take place. And that is a relationship of him as savior to her as sinner in need. Even his own mother must recognize her need to submit under the Lord Jesus Christ in his role as her savior. Think about what Mary would have left the cross with. Grief for Jesus. Pain, having seen him like that and knowing that he had died. But even that night, going away with the earthly provision that John provided. He took her to his own house from that time on. Wherever John was, Mary was. Wherever Mary was, John was. This was the faithfulness to which John obeyed that command of the Lord. But also Mary would have had the sense that she was forgiven. My friends, what a joy it is to know that your sins are forgiven. Forgiven by the blood of Christ. His own mother's sins were forgiven. And his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And those soldiers saw that their only hope was this one who loved from the cross. The depth of his love, as Sam said from John 3, 16, God so loved the world. There's no word that can encapsulate all the depth of so and the ways that Jesus loved. Have you looked to Jesus have you seen him for who he is? And have you allowed him to, to set the standard of his relationship with you? He's not primarily your friend. He's not primarily your counselor. He's primarily your savior and your Lord. Receive him on his own terms from the cross and know that you need forgiveness. And finally, friends, the cross reveals the debt of that sin paid. Verse 28, John skips over three hours of agony from the cross as the sky in the middle of the afternoon turns as black as midnight. It's a palpable blackness. And during this time, Jesus fought the greatest spiritual battle that has ever been fought. The, the, the battle that would never be atoned for by a billion crucifixions of all the people of the world forever. It is the, the battle of a sinner with an angry God. As God the Father, by his will, 
put Jesus in the spot to receive all the punishment for sin. If you have any doubt of this, many times John has said so far, all the things that have been happening are the fulfillment of Scripture. Psalm 22, back in verse 24. Psalm 22, where he says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Nothing is left to chance. You will either be a passive player, excuse me, a passive player in the drama of God, or you will yield to what he is doing. And the one who is no victim of circumstance is the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that after this, after he had cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 28, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. This fifth declaration of Jesus from the cross reminds us that he was God, but also man, suffered intensely under this painful, excruciating, dehydrating experience on the cross. This too is a part of scripture. It comes from Psalm 69, 21, to the best of our ability to track down, where it says there, for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. And what was this sour wine? You may be confused. When Jesus was heading to the cross, there was another attempt with people to give him sour wine to drink. Uh, that usually was out of the kindness of some of the wealthy ladies of Israel who had gathered together what was more or less a narcotic to dull the pain of those who were going to be crucified. Jesus refused that, wanted nothing to do with it, choosing rather to experience the full excruciating pain. This sour wine was different. The soldiers kept this at the foot of the cross for themselves. Out in that arid heat, they would drink it for some electrolytes. It was a mixture of vinegar, uh, a little bit uh, fermented, so that they could stay hydrated. So they got a hyssop branch, it was typically found around that region, dipped it into that bit of wine, and got it up to Jesus' mouth so that he could drink. And I think he needed to clear his throat for what he was about to say next. That the debt of sin was paid, and the cry that I don't think he said silently was, it is finished. It is finished. What did he finish? In other words, what was done here? In one sense, it was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. In another sense, it was the perfection of life that God demanded by all the laws that he had ever written. He loved people perfectly. He loved God with all his heart. And what did he get for it? The weight of all the sin of all the sinners. Now, as he says this, it is finished. Think of the confidence that he says this with in his last ragged breath. He gets to the end and admits, it's done. And praise God of his confidence. Luke records one more confident statement that Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was so certain that the work was done, so certain that God would never require any other sacrifice for sin, that he said, Father, I commit my spirit to you. I trust you that you accept it and that the work is done. And that's where we conclude tonight. Friends, between now and Sunday morning, we actually live in a time of grief over the loss of Jesus Christ because of our sin. Let that sink in. Jesus died because of your sin and because of my sin. But I want you to know that for Jesus, he rested. 
from Friday night through Saturday until the earliest hours of Sunday morning. Much like Pastor Sam has reminded us recently in Hebrews, God made the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested, foreshadowing this time when his son would complete the mission and on the seventh day rest and on the first day of the week inaugurate the new creation. So tonight, place your confidence in Jesus Christ. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is intended that we do this to proclaim his death until he comes. Let us do that with full assurance of faith that his rest is our only rest, that his sacrifice is our only salvation.